It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Edgy Talk. Lane Talk. Unrivaled Talk. Talk Radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio with just three days to go until Christmas. We're still fighting the good fight to stop Boris Johnson from being overwhelmed. That's right. Not by COVID, not by the new variant of COVID, which is otherwise known as Omicron, but we're stopping Boris Johnson from being overwhelmed by SAGE and their doomster team of advisors. Don't let it happen, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, There is a way to stop it. You can take precautions. And that's what I'm going to suggest that Boris Johnson does. I'm going to say to Boris Johnson right now, right here, if you want to stop any kind of encroachment encouraging people to stop you doing anything that you want to do at Christmas, then here's what you've got to do. You've got to lock yourself away in your room. Uh, You've got to self-isolate. You've got to stay away from anybody. You've got to avoid any unnecessary contact. And what you've also got to do is avoid any kind of socialising whatsoever. So absolutely no cheese absolutely no wine absolutely no uh, fraternizing with the missus absolutely no feeding the baby absolutely no contact whatsoever with man beast dog woman sage advisor male or female communist or conservative no matter what don't see anyone don't look at the cabinet don't catch anybody's eye just stay hunkered down in the boris bunker and all will be well we'll see you on the other side and meanwhile everybody can get on with their lives that suit you? 0344 499 As we pack down the last few shopping days before the weekend, it seems that there are still some die-hard lockdown fanatics who are still urging the Prime Minister to stop anyone doing anything whatsoever. Yesterday, the Cabinet refused to introduce any more restrictions before Christmas Eve, but the hospitality business is still looking, ladies and gentlemen, at a £1.5 billion hangover in January, and that can't be right. Already we're seeing a lot of businesses going to the wall because all of their Christmas parties got cancelled. Already people are starting to behave as though they're running away from something they don't even know what it is. It's like a giant sort of, you know, snowman chasing them. The abominable snowman is suddenly running down the high street chasing after you. So you have to go and hide into the nearest bush. What is going on, for heaven's sake? This morning, we'll be once more taking the temperature of the nation as it begins to grind to a halt. Uh, We're hearing of cancelled flights out of the United Kingdom. We're hearing about cancelled trains up and down the country. Apparently too many people have been sent home to self-isolate. So there aren't enough people to actually do any work. Does that sound at all familiar to you? It sounds to me like what happened towards the end of the summer holidays. Lots of train drivers suddenly found themselves unable to work. They suddenly found themselves pinged 10 days off down by the beach. Southwest trains couldn't go anywhere because they didn't have any drivers. 
They weren't sick, of course. They just fancied not doing any work. And that's, I fear, what is going on right now. So if you're trying to get anywhere today, I'd love to hear from you. If you're trying to get on a train from London to Manchester, if you're trying to get on a train uh, from Edinburgh to Leeds, if you're trying to go from Newcastle uh, to King's Cross, I want to know about it. If you're trying to get from Exeter uh, up to Bristol, if you're trying to get from Newport up to London, are the trains actually running? We're going to be finding out. 0344 499 1000. This morning, we're also joined up first by Craig McKinley, Conservative MP for South Thanet. He voted against the government's introduction of vaccine passports, and he's one of the Tory backbenchers keeping Boris honest right now, which is not a terribly easy task. I'll be asking him just how embattled the Prime Minister is and what he's going to do to get back to his Conservative roots in the new year. There's an awful lot of noises coming out of the Tory party, but Boris has forgotten what being a Tory is. And also, how do we ensure that a lockdown doesn't kick in no matter what in January? 0344 499 1000. Laura Dodsworth is here as well. She is a solitary voice or one of many solitary voices out there uh, in behalf of the Freedom Movement. She was at the Freedom March of the weekend. We'll find out all about that. Plus, she's got plenty to say about the boost, boost, boost message being handed out to all and sundry. The fear factor is gripping the nation once again. And it's my job to keep you sane, to keep you straight on the narrow, straight and narrow even, and to keep you from losing all hope out there under the jackboot uh, of what some people would like to see uh, is conservative protectionism. We don't want to see that here at the Independent Republic. We're not going to let it happen. Kevin O'Sullivan is here. Uh, he's going to tell us what's going on inside the Premier League, where players and management appear to be at loggerheads over the vaccination. And Angela Levin will join us as well with the latest from Windsor Castle. For the second year in a row, the Queen has called off her family Christmas and she won't be going to Sandringham yet again. Guess what that means? Yep, you're going to be stuck with Prince Andrew. Brilliant. Marvellous. What a great Christmas that will be. 03444991000. We'll also be heading over to the United States where the Omicron variant is now frightening the life out of Joe Biden. Huh? What's that? Omicron? Oh, my God. Uh, you'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest great radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Craig McKinley, Conservative MP for South Athanic. Greetings of the season, Craig. Hello, good to see you, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, we find ourselves once again in a slight sort of limbo situation. Um, I was pleased to see the government at least having um, a sensible conversation yesterday about what to do about restrictions. I think where we are now is a sort of inevitable place to be. I think most people have kind of accepted it, but they don't really want to see anything more stringent being put on us before the actual day of Christmas. Well, absolutely right. I mean, you know, to the government's credit or difficulty that it faces we've now become a world of precautionary principle where you're damned if you do damned if you don't just in case and all of that and do you know who i give a real thanks to this week and that would be fraser nelson from the spectator who had a bit of an exchange with brown medley who's the chair of the sage modeling committee and you know it seemed in summary to me that uh Graham Medley was sort of told, well, you know, this is the outcome we want. Model for it, please, Mm. and frighten us all to death. Uh, To me, uh, our freedoms should be uh, at our consent and not at the whim of a flawed spreadsheet. I mean, let's go back to some of this modelling we've had over the last 20 months. Uh, I remember in July when you know we we had the the great unlock Mm. and very welcome that was too. All of those same siren voices saying, oh, it's all too dangerous. Oh, we'll have thousands in hospital. It didn't happen then. And I very much doubt it will happen 
now. But uh, it seems that there were some very sensible voices on the cabinet yesterday, just from reports I'm reading in the media, who were you know, finally questioning some of this. There is very little data to go on. Uh, and it's strange, isn't it, when you know South Africa is a few weeks ahead of us, any good news out of South Africa is deemed, oh, well, it's all too different. We can't rely on that. They might have had COVID before. They're a younger population and all the rest of it. Yeah. And yet when we get a, an extreme model of doom and destruction, which I'm afraid we've seen far too much of, it's deemed to be a statement of fact. And there it is all mm. over the mainstream uh, media. So I, I hope we're going to have a bit of common sense now. I mean, in a way, Mike, we don't even need a lockdown anymore because it's already stalking the streets. Yes. Uh, we've got uh, hospitality 40% down. I would say that's a minimum. Uh, billions lost over this absolutely key period. Uh, you've got staff out all over the place across public services. You know, the call is out there to work from home and, and all of that. You don't need a lockdown. The number of interactions we're all ha having is probably less because everyone has been struck with the fear factor once more. Uh, I would rather we, you know, we took sensible decisions for ourselves. We could all see the numbers. We could all do some, uh, you know, some things for ourselves. But for heaven's sake, let's not go back down the rabbit hole of lockdown. And do you know what is really important out of this, Mike? And this is a national debate we need to have. It would appear, and I certainly hope it's true, that Omicron is far less virulent and serious than what we've seen before. But say there is a future variant of which there is bound to be. I don't know what we're going to call it. We're going to run out of Greek letters before long. Um, say it's a serious one. Can we seriously keep going down this rabbit hole of doing exactly the same thing with the crisis in education that's created, the crisis in other health issues, uh, the mental health issues, and of course, the economic destruction that comes with it? Yeah. We need to have that debate yeah. because a day has to come when we say, hold enough. That's it. Yeah. We can't do anymore. We haven't got the financial firepower. I don't think we've got the mental health uh, left within each of us to go through this sort of lockdown ever again. But, you know, let's hope Omicron is is uh, not serious. It seems to be the case, uh, but that will emerge over the next few days. Yes. But, um, you know, but I, we're is, in a bad situation again. As you say, Craig, I mean, the problem is, is that the people have kind of acted without having to be told to act in a particular way. They've just gone and done it. And, you know, and lots of people have cancelled Christmas parties. They've cancelled nights out. They've cancelled all manner of different activities. And I believe that that is solely down to Chris Whitty making a statement which he was unauthorised to make on the same day at the same press conference as the Prime Minister, who was basically saying the complete opposite, saying don't cancel your Christmas parties, continue with your lives, you know, be cautious by all means, but whatever you do, don't kill off the economy. Meanwhile, Chris Whitty's there just waving the white flag, going, oh, don't worry about it, it could be two or three years before we're out of this. Well, I think that's a disgrace, and I think he should be fired. Well, I mean, there's the old adage, isn't there? Advisors advise and ministers decide. Once ministers decide, that should be uh, the end of it. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing new there. Uh, but yeah, but what's he doing? It, being it given, but hang on, what's he been, what's, why has he been given permission to spout off uh, his rather sort of overly paranoid scientific nonsense when he talked about people choosing which uh, social gatherings to go to? That's none of his business. Well, I, I think you're right. We've seen this throughout, haven't we? We've had people who are, you know, on the various committees, the SAGE committees, the, you know, there's, there's more committees being created than, than even I can keep track of. But if they're on these committees, they, they should be part of their contract that they do not go on the media. That is for other people yeah. to do. It's not for them to do. Uh, and I'm afraid they have gold-plated, as we often see, uh, gold-plated these rules and sort of tried to flex them towards what 
what they'd like to see rather than what ministers have decided. Mm. So, yeah, perhaps there is a story there and a lesson for government of the future uh, because we can't continue like this. Yeah. But, um, you know, this is very flawed at the moment, very flawed. We're waiting for the data. And, you know, I do fully support, and I must put this on record, Mike, I fully support the, the vaccine booster rollout. Uh, it is going great guns, you know, a million yesterday. That's That's got to be to the good. And the figures that I'm seeing and multiple reports is that if you're vaccinated, your likelihood of being hospitalised and even worse, I mean, what could be worse, dying is going to be much, much reduced. Yeah, but so, that's not the signal, you know, the is it? I mean, the program pro- the pro- I do support. You know, Craig, I don't think anybody doesn't support the booster program. I think that goes without saying. But the trouble is, is that the booster program and its support must also but then be supported by government messaging and government policy, which tells you uh, that you can then go about your business, not get the booster and then go and hide in a, in a, in a house for four days because it's too dangerous to go anywhere. Because if it's too dangerous to go anywhere, People are going to go, well, what's the point of getting a booster then? Well, I think you've got it exactly right, Mike. And I saw, you know, what Germany is proposing. It's proposing a, um, a complete ban on people who are not German uh, from entering the country. Yeah. And even if you are double vaccinated, you know, the hallowed vaccine passport that I'm, I'm, I'm less than impressed about, mm. uh, then you will still have to go into isolation. Yeah. I mean, that is not a great message to say, get vaccinated and you get your freedoms. No. I mean, that's a debate topic in itself. But Germany is saying, get vaccinated. And frankly, it makes no difference. Yeah. We're going to lock you down anyway. Exactly. So that's that's really poor messaging that uh, goes completely contrary to what we're saying in this country. And I, I hope we stick with that, saying booster is the way out. Uh, we're going to re- get get out of these uh, restrictions as soon as we possibly can. But the trouble is, we go around the circle again, Mike. Mm. You know, it might be that a, a future variant, which will come, I mean, I can guarantee that, uh, may not uh, operate so well with the vaccines that we have. Yeah. Are we going to go yeah. down the rabbit hole again of saying, ah, well, we need to wait 100 days for the pharmaceutical companies to reconfigure a vaccine. Uh, we've then got to wait for, you know, it took seven months last time mm. between first vaccination and the July opening up. We can't go down that route again. We cannot go down that route again. And I'll tell you, my father is 87. I had a chat with him about all this, as I would at the weekend. And, you know, he said, you know, he's going to be a vulnerable individual. He's had his three doses. And he said, we can't keep doing this. There has to be a day. Yeah. When we say, um, you know, I'm sorry, that's it. That is absolutely it. And he's someone who's vulnerable and someone I respect and have listened to all my life. Uh, and I think that's pretty good advice. Mm. Well, I mean, I've never allowed scientists to rule my life in any way, shape or form throughout the entire several decades that I've lived. I've lived a pretty good, decent, healthy life. My existence has not been encumbered or unencumbered by scientists tapping me on the shoulder, telling me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Right. Uh, I've had plenty of warnings about drink one glass of red wine uh, to stave away heart failure. I've had plenty of warnings to drink a bottle of white wine a week to stave off heart failure. You know, these people change their minds every five minutes. I'll tell you why that happens, because they can't make any decisions. They're not supposed to be making decisions they're supposed to be there to tell the government what their best guess is and that's all it is it's no better than my guess it's no better than your guess as it turns out because after two years they still don't bloody well know what's going on well uh, you you raised the wine thing i was going to raise that myself yes wine good wine bad butter good butter bad you know it's very difficult to know on these sort of shifting sands but i'm afraid scientists on this issue i mean there are some fantastic scientists out there that i actually agree with what they're saying because they're rather more critical than what we're hearing uh from sage 
But uh, scientists are a little bit like economists. You know, mm. you get you get ten in a room, and you'll get eleven different yeah, answers. Exactly. Um, well, that's and, not and acceptable. Like yeah, but you can't run a country like that, Craig. No, well, I think it goes back to the precautionary principle. It is this sort of you, you hear the siren calls from West Streeting from Labour saying, "Oh, it should be a lockdown now and worse." And you say, "Well, he doesn't why? Know and he doesn't really know." No, exactly. So it's up to ministers to pull all this together and say, hold on, we don't know enough about Omicron. Uh, we don't know enough about the outcomes. Uh, we, we can see that people are more than capable of being sensible. That's where this should rest. Because also what we've done thus far, I mean, the measures that Parliament agreed I didn't last week uh, were pretty skinny on yeah. the face of it. But, but what, it created the whole fear factor. I mean, the one, the one thing we can say for sure, uh, Craig, that we know is the case, is that lockdowns damage the psyche of the nation. They damage the ability of the NHS to treat people who have got something wrong with them other than COVID. We know that it damages the economy. We know that these restrictions are bad for the country. That's what we know. The rest of it, uh, you know, we can debate at another time. But stay with us, Craig. I've got plenty to ask you about. I've got a lot of messages coming in from people, particularly in the hospitality network, who say, look, just do something for us. Don't expect us to lie dormant on the vine and simply die off, because that would not be right or fair. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Even the Queen has been frightened in this submission. She's cancelled uh, Sandringham once again for a second year in a row. Uh, she's going to go for a safe Christmas at Windsor. Uh, well, it's safe if, uh, if you call it that sort of thing. Prince Andrew's going to be there. Uh, so it might not be quite as interesting as you would have hoped. We shall see. Mike has sent me this uh, uh, talk radio tweet. It says, hi, Mike. Like millions, I'm losing my sanity over this never-ending nightmare. My business is clinging on by its fingertips. Holidays cancelled over and over. Family split over vaccines and mask wearing. I retire in February 2020. I'm not enjoying enjoying my hard-earned money. I could cry. And James Chiaverini, who's a good friend of the show, uh, restaurant owner from Kensington. Uh, we're talking to uh, Craig McKinley here, Craig. Let me just give you his message. He says, quite frankly, the best outcome for our business is a month-long lockdown in January. It's a crap month anyway, full of wretched vegans and teetotalers. With lockdown, government will have to give financial support and we will have four weeks to plan for 2022. The worst-case scenario is no lockdown and more scaremongering. Either way, we're going to have an empty restaurant so we might as well let number 10 pay for it he makes a good point doesn't he well i'm afraid he does i mean i i'm very very cognizant that we've spent 400 billion and that doesn't come out of thin air that doesn't get picked off a tree uh that is well, money from, that has it comes to be from, found it comes from us isn't it comes from us well it probably won't come from you and me mike we'll be long gone you'll be my my daughter and her offspring mm. will be paying it off you know this doesn't come out of thin air this has got massive uh, consequences and that's consequences in potentially higher tax in the future there's a huge debt pile to be paid off but i mean you know it's, it's a realistic option that if the government is causing these uh, lockdowns particularly in hospitality or not lockdown but you know a restriction of trade and fear that's walking the streets uh, then it's not unreasonable that uh, it has to be paid for because you know I know very well how hospitality just completely relies on the Christmas period. I had a, a, an office due last Friday, and the the restaurateur was saying, "Well, just over the weekend, right. I've got eighty cancellations, and it wasn't a very big restaurant." Right. So that is happening on every high street, you know, everywhere uh, that you can imagine. But it's not only hospitality. You've got people fearful of going to the normal high street. Uh, reports of people are going out of town. They prefer the out of town experience. And of course, 
you're going to have, again, a permanent shift by a lot of people to shopping online Mm. uh, and they won't go back. And that's going to cause further damage to the high street. So you you said before we had the break, there are certain outcomes that we don't need to model for. for. We actually know they're true. And that is an extended NHS waiting list for, you know, elective treatments. Uh, That's uh, reflective of the National Audit Office report that there are up to 750,000 people who haven't had a cancer diagnosis. Uh, that is certainly mental health issues. That is certainly uh, permanent damage we're potentially doing to our young who are not in the school uh, system as they mm. should be. Uh, and that's without the permanent failure of, of certain businesses. So we know those to be true. The one thing we don't know to be true yet is the real danger and the uh, the modelling of Omicron. That is the big uncertainty. The rest of it, we most certainly do know about. So we, I think we need to put that economic basis and the other health basis in the mix. They should be the people in the room uh, with the cabinet, not just Sage and other advisors. Yeah. And yeah. so that we can have it in the whole. I mean, it seems to me that uh, certain members of the cabinet were putting those uh, points forward rather strongly yesterday. And hence we had, funnily enough, an outcome that I, I forecast a couple of days ago. Yes, it, it would be a you know a, a stern talking to by the PM, but no further measures mm. at this time. Yeah. But that said, uh, there is talk, there is talk, and that's in the media I picked up this morning, uh, that Parliament might maybe return next week, 28th or 29th, uh, to have a, a range of new measures. But we wait and see on that. Um, but why is it only the NHS that keeps getting talked about as in need of protection? There's lots of things that are in need of protection uh, from this kind of crazy lockdown fanaticism. Um, and much of it is worth an awful lot more to the economy than the NHS. The NHS is a massive strain on the economy. Uh, we pour more and more money into what seems to be more and more likely to be a failing system, which nobody seems to be willing to address. You know, we've got, you know, executive this and confederation that uh, NHS providers over here. You know, we've got organisations up the wazoo telling us how dangerous it is that it could be overwhelmed. Not one of them seems to have a clue as to how to make the NHS work for the people of the country, i.e. the clients. Well, you're absolutely right. I think we do need to ask, what is the NHS for? Uh, I think it's there to serve us. I'm not sure it's us to serve it. No, exactly. Uh, I did some search on the internet not long ago. I think it was about a year ago, actually, when we were talking about all these things and the NHS being overwhelmed and all the rest of it. You, you do an internet search of NHS uh, winter pressures, you will find them every single year. Mm. Uh, and yet here we are knowing, I would have thought, that's one modelling I think we would have known, that this year there would be winter pressures on the NHS because there always has been. Yeah. And yet there doesn't seem to me to have been a great deal of extra work to actually provide more beds, to provide more facilities. Well, I'm to told there are now fewer beds. I'm told, the there is, I'm told there are fewer beds this year than there were last year, because last year there was provision made uh, for Nightingale hospitals, which were waiting, ready and willing, uh, apparently without enough staff to operate them, but there were more beds available. Now we've got fewer beds available. We've got fewer patients actually suffering from COVID, and yet we're still in the same place. You know, it's like some kind of Groundhog Day nightmare. No, you're absolutely right. I saw that same report. Uh, but, but it's funny, I mean, the, the NHS is now absorbing close to, or if not more than 40% of government expenditure. Uh, it makes me wonder whether we just need to rebadge Britain to, you know, the NHS and we're, we're, we're some sort of um, annoyance. That, yeah. that well, Helen Dale, one of, around it Helen Dale, one of our regular contributors, said to me last week that the United, the United Kingdom has now become a health service with a country attached to it. 
you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I would have hoped, and it's time I think we had that debate, what do we want from the NHS for the future? How do we get it battle fit? How do we get it to do the things that we need it to do? Uh, free at the point of delivery and all of those good things. But it, it's funny, Mike, I mean, throughout this whole pandemic, I've come across different NHS organisations that, frankly, I didn't even know existed. Uh, and even less whether they were really needed at all. I mean, there's vast numbers of this committee, that committee, you know, this trust, that trust, the other trust. It is a real web. And then when anything goes wrong within any one part of that web, they're all independent on many of them, completely independent sort of bodies. Uh, everyone points a finger at the uh, Secretary of State for Health for, you know, the problem that an ambulance didn't turn up. Yeah. If we want the Secretary of State to be in control, I think we need a different structure where the uh, these bodies are accountable to the Secretary of State uh, and, you know, not, not as independent as they seem to be and then passing the buck to somebody else. I, I do think we need a discussion about where the NHS is going. It could be great, uh, but it needs, I think, uh, some substantial reform. I know people put their hands up and say, oh, well, it's, uh, it's the new religion, we don't reform it. Well, I'm afraid this period has shown that perhaps something needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, and well, it's and been, not, I mean, it's been very clear. I mean, Craig, it's been very clear to me for many, many years that the NHS is not fit for purpose. You know, there are many great people working in it, and I always say that, and there are plenty of great doctors and great nurses and great clinicians and fantastic surgeons, all of that. But there are way too many managers. There are much too much money wasted, and it's too bleeding slow, uh, and it doesn't pivot quickly enough. There are people still, even now getting in touch with me to say, I haven't been able to see my doctor all year. I've just had a call from them saying, come in and get your booster. That tells me that there's something very wrong. Well, I mean, it is a little bizarre, isn't it, that uh, we've we've completely reconfigured the whole, you know, the GPs, NHS, the whole rest of it at the moment to do the booster rollout. You know, I support the booster rollout. That's great. But, um, you know, I do have some concerns. If we're boosting 12-year-olds... But we're ignoring those in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s with other conditions, potentially cancer, that could kill them as well. Mm. I'm not sure that's the right balance of where we should be looking at this time. Because, you know, I, I do feel that youngsters are probably unlikely to succumb to COVID. Uh, but I can be absolutely sure that if you're in your 70s with uh, reasonably advanced prostate cancer, that is going to take you off. So, uh, you know, I'm worried about that balance that's been struck at this current time. But, you know, that said, completely support the booster campaign. But perhaps we should have got more volunteers in. You know, people like you and me, Mike, I'm sure we could have uh, we, we could learn how to do a vaccine uh, within a fairly short time. I'm yeah. not entirely sure we need you. I'm sorry, I'm not volunteering it. my services to the government unless they give me a tax refund. I'll give them enough money already. I'm not giving them my time as well. They can get stuffed. Sorry to sound uh, as if I'm not public spirited. No, but, but, you know, the, the point I'm making is I'm not entirely sure that you know, highly trained GPs that, that could be doing other things should be doing vaccines. No, I, I take I'm your not, point. Not I take your that. point, And I think there's plenty of people. I think everyone who works in the NHS should certainly be trained up because most of them are sitting at home uh, doing the square root of bugger all. But thank you very much indeed. Craig McKinley, MP, speaking sense from South Thanet. I'm speaking sense uh, from nowhere near South Thanet, uh, but I can see it from here uh, because, of course, uh, we are atop the tower here at uh, London Bridge. I can see the Tower of London. Uh, I can think of a few people I could quite like to put in there for Christmas, by the way. Just lock them up for a few days, see how they like it. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's find out what's going on out there, because I'll tell you what also is happening. People are taking advantage, as they often do. Some people are getting pinged off work because they're finding themselves uh, supposedly 
testing positive for Omicron because it's a much more transmissible disease. A lot more people are getting it. Perhaps a lot more people are not getting particularly ill with it. But many people, particularly those driving the trains and running the trains, are apparently struggling. I've been sent a picture this morning of the notice board, uh, which is the train service down to Brighton from London. And every single train which is on it has been cancelled. Every single one. Now, you might say to me that that's a bit unfortunate. But I would say it's more than unfortunate. Let's talk to Bruce Williamson from the campaign group Rail Futures. Bruce, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Greetings of the season. Uh, things are not looking good on the railways at the moment. I was having a bit of a gander around this morning, and there's an awful lot of cancellations. There's an awful lot of trains running late. Uh, there's suggestions that it will take you to between three and four hours to get from London to Manchester. Uh, to get from London to Edinburgh could take you as much as seven or eight hours. It's all a bit of a mess, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's not ideal, is it? Um, I think we have to sort of have some th- sympathy, though, with the rail companies because... Um, Omicron, COVID, it's kind of an act of God, and it's to some extent beyond our control. Um, and, you know, what is the rail company to do? They, you know, they're, they're sort of doing the best they can with, with, a, with a crew off sick, really. Yes, but there's an awful lot of people off sick. And, I mean, supposedly the change was made, was it not, that you didn't have to self-isolate just because you'd come into contact with someone. So these are presumably people who are self-isolating because they've, uh, because they've tested positive. Well, I, I don't know the exact ins and outs, but I mean, clearly, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't think there's any suggestion that, well, apart from you, that, that they're sort of slacking off, um, you know, because they'd be inclined to do that every Christmas and generally they don't. Well, they so do, I, actually, I, I, don't they? Are but, you sure? Well, I, do, do you have any evidence of that? I don't have any evidence. Yeah, I do. I there's always trains cancelled at Christmas. Uh, I also have evidence that they were cancelling trains last summer, end of the last summer holidays. Uh, because a lot of drivers from Southwest Trains weren't turning up for work, citing uh, that they'd been pinged. Well, I mean, I think last summer that was what you you had to do, didn't it? Wasn't it? Um, so, are they slacking off? I I don't believe so. I mean, bear in mind as well, we've got uh, as usual over Christmas we've got major engineering works, and that has a a major impact on the uh, on the timetable. So, um, you know, what can you do? Well, how come <laughs> how come all the people doing the engineering works aren't slacking off? Or maybe they are. Well, actually, I, th- I think it is a problem. Um, I, I, I don't know for definite, but I mean, you know, clearly if, if you're, you, you've got a team of guys out there to do a job and if one of the crucial key members is off sick, then you can't do the job. And I think that did happen last year, that some of the, uh, you know, that some of the engineering works that were planned actually didn't get done in the end, sadly. No. And that is the problem, that we have an burgeoningly useless organisation which doesn't seem very capable of organising itself at the best of times. And over Christmas Christmas holidays, I mean, you and I have a a row every year about why they can't manage to get any trains working on Boxing Day, because seemingly, apparently on Boxing Day, it's a very different day to every other day uh, where nobody can actually do any work on the railways. Well, this this seemingly incompetent organisation, of course, is is basically the government. <laughs> we need well, to that remember comes that as no, railways... that comes as no surprise. No, seriously, the, the railways are micromanaged by the Department for Transport, and what's happened in the last year or so is that the government, you know, with the creation of Great British Railways and all that, and and the ending of the franchises, has taken more and more on board itself. The poor old train operating companies have very little room for manoeuvre. Um, so I think you know we. With many of railways' problems, I think we can fairly lay the blame at the government. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind who we blame. I just want to be able to get from point A to point B if I've bought a ticket. Uh, so with 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 that intention in mind, and that seems as though this week it's becoming more and more difficult. 
Well, absolutely, yeah. But I mean, you know, the, the COVID is, is like I say, it's an act of God, really. Um, I, I had my booster yesterday. I'm feeling a bit tender. But, you know, I think once we all get vaccinated and COVID is, is out of the way, hopefully, um, maybe things will return back to normal. But uh, but who knows? I mean, you know, it's, it's easy to say, well, why don't they have staff on standby? But those staff, sort of spare drivers and spare conductors and what have you, they need training and they need to be paid, you know, to stand by. And, you know, you and me would carry the burden of that. Well, one of the problems with what they're doing currently, and I don't know who's to blame for this, uh, is that the staff shortages have impacted the train services in such a way that rail operators across the country are admitting that they're struggling to get trains running. So what they're doing is they're curtailing the number of trains uh, and also shortening the trains themselves, i.e. let's get as many people crammed into as many uh, carriages as possible uh, so that they don't spread any uh, disease to each other. Well, yeah, I mean, I agree. Crowding trains at a time like this is certainly not ideal. But what can you do? What would you do if you were a railway manager and you had people off sick? You've got to run the best service you can, which won't have the capacity that ideally you want, but it's better than running no trains at all. Is it? Maybe it's better if they just cancel the whole thing and just admit defeat. It says here, LNER <laughs> has taken out 16 trains a day until the 24th of December between London, Lincoln and Leeds, right? And yeah. that's an increased level of absence in drivers and managers due to coronavirus. Now, I don't know how important the managers are, uh, but I don't know if you should be cancelling trains just because you don't have any managers. On the Avanti West Coast line, services are subject to short notice cancellations and alterations due to the impact of COVID-19 on train crew availability. Now, I don't know how robust the checking messages are uh, for the railway companies themselves. You know, if I'm a driver and I don't fancy working today, I'm going to ring up and say I've had a positive COVID test. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm sure that does happen occasionally, but I don't have any evidence of, of widespread slacking off on the part of drivers. And again, what would you do if you were LNER? If you've got a shortage of drivers, you quite simply have no choice but to reduce the number of services that you're running. Unfortunate though that is. Well, yeah, but that, where does that leave the consumer? Well, it, it leaves the consumer in, in, a, in a very bad position. But I, I, what, what I'm asking you, Mike, I know it's unsatisfactory for the consumer. What's the alternative? How do we deal with this? Well, I think somebody has to be asking that question and actually looking for an answer as opposed to asking it into thin air, uh, which is what you're yeah. doing. And I don't blame you, Bruce. It's not, yeah, your fault. it's not your fault. But surely somebody who's running a railway should understand that in the midst of when there's likely to be a bit of sickness, which there always is over Christmas and over winter mm. times anyway, strangely enough, that they should be able to deal with it and cope with it. Well, I think they do understand that. But they're... they're, they're, they're um, you know, their hands are tied behind their back to some extent. I mentioned the cost of you know, having spare staff, the, the railway companies are under immense pressure from the DFT to cut costs. So that makes it even harder. If you've laid off extra drivers and conductors, you have even less flexibility about which trains you can run. Well, that's I mean, idiotic, I think, you know, isn't it? I, I understand why, you know, consumers are angry, but I think the, the train operating companies are doing the best they can under the circumstances. But, I would, really, but, I, would, but I would argue, Bruce, that it's actually more sensible to cancel trains altogether. In fact, this is what Transport Focus have said. Uh, it's better for some services to be temporarily withdrawn on a planned basis than to have chaotic last-minute cancellations. I sort of agree with that. But, but, but to take that to its fullest extent, you might be better off just going, do you know what? You won't be able to get a train home this Christmas, so don't rely on it. Find another way to get home. Because if I was standing, well, I, sure. if I was standing on a station platform at Euston on Friday, Christmas Eve, and they cancelled the train I was due to get on to take me home to my family, I would be not surprised at all if I started an entire riot. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> conspiracy to riot is probably a crime, mate. So yeah, but at least what you say. Well, but, uh, well, I'm not suggesting that anybody should do that. But what I'm saying is, is it would be entirely understandable if people's trains get cancelled when they're the last train they can get home. Of course, yeah, I understand why people argue. But you know, we're, we're what 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 do you do if you're a train operating company or a train manager? You're not sick yourself, and your last driver of the day calls in sick. What can you do? You know, you have no choice but to cancel the train. Well, surely, and, to Christ, you would have some kind of um, fallback position on the last train home, wouldn't you? Well, I, I, what would that be? This well, have somebody, have somebody on standby. Have somebody on standby. It's not difficult. You, you know, everybody has I, to do the same thing, Bruce. If I suddenly call in sick at five to ten in the morning, you know, they do manage yeah. to find somebody to do my show for me. In the same way yeah. that they might not be as good at driving a train as the guy who was supposed to drive it, he's somebody who can drive it. Yeah. I, 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 I can't. Well, I can speak for radio because I know quite a lot about it. But, I you don't, know, I, I don't I think, understand why it's complicated. Have somebody on bloody standby. Yeah, and, and like I say, you're, you're under pressure to cut costs. You don't need this standby driver. Well, you do actually. And then, um, well, that's ridiculous. And, and then you run well, into trouble madness. at Christmas. Well, that's the politics of madness, Bruce. Surely it how is you, the politics. How can you not have a standby train driver? Because the DFT want to cut costs, blame the DFT. Well, maybe they should fire a few of the civil servants who haven't worked for a year. Well, I think that might be a good idea, yeah. Well, that would be one way to solve it. You know, it seems to me nobody in this country knows how to do anything anymore. Everybody goes on and on about how terrible it all is, but nobody actually fixes it. Well, it's, it's very easy to be an armchair expert, isn't it? No, you know, it's I not. Think those it's people... not, actually. You know, what I'm suggesting to you is that the Department of Transport is stuffed full of civil servants who do the square root of sweet FA all year round, and we haven't got enough train drivers or trains. So take the money that well, you waste on them and spend it on the trains. Simple. OK, there may be some truth in that, but you've got to, you've got to fire your anger at the politicians. And, you know, it goes all the way up to I probably do. the I Prime do. Minister. I do. I, as... I fire my anger at them on a regular basis. But you know as well as I do, the only time you get anything done in this world is by making a fuss, making a noise and kicking somebody. And so that's what a train company should be doing instead of just sitting there taking the money and going, oh, we'll just do what we're told. You know, what next? Well, You're going to run, you know, one train a week. Oh, OK, then, as long as that's what you want us to do. What the hell are they thinking? Well, they're, they're doing what they're told to do by the TFT. I'm well, sure don't do what you're told. Regularly. It's always a bad idea. It's, a, it's where all the trouble started from in the first place, Bruce. Anyway, listen, have a good Christmas. I hope you don't have to rely on the trains, because if you do, you're in a bad place. Uh, this is Talk Radio. I'm still angry. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, look who it is. Welcome. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. How are you oh, doing? Yeah, good. Happy I, uh, winter solstice day. It's exciting. If isn't only it? I was a druid, I could have sat here with my white sheets on and you know worshipped something. I have a little bit of a pagan streak. I thought I, you might. And did you? I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, yep. got, I've got that going on, and I love winter solstice. There's yes. Something I've had some great celebrations on winter solstice. Mm. You know, basically any excuse to make a day a party. Yes. That's part of it. Yeah. Um, Particularly if it's an all dayer. I, I or will, a Leo Sayer, as we used to call it. I will have a little bit of a going out tonight, I think. When I say a little bit, that's kind of British understatement. Probably we'll have a nice big night out good tonight. Ma- good uh, man. Inclu- including the lovely Tonya Buxton. Excellent. Going out. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll be seeing her tomorrow, so you don't want to make her too ill for she, the, when she she's here be. in the morning. She might be. No, she's very sensible and she always looks good regardless. You'll never know, I'm sure, if no, she's I'm nursing sure. a, a winter solstice hangover. Mm. But you know what you just said about cautious Christmas? Yes. Ugh. Ugh, ugh. Imagine, you know, that could be the Christmas cards of the future. Have yourself a cautious Christmas. I know. In fact, I don't think that's going far enough. I think we should just give in, just cancel Christmas. And how about on perhaps um, some solstice, the longest day of the year, when it's maybe it's the safest for us from spiritual yes. diseases, we step out for maybe just an hour onto our doorsteps to clap for the NHS and for the nation and then and then timidly Maybe re- for the retreat. train drivers. Yeah, yeah. You know, give them a few more days off, you know, sure. because it's a hard job driving a train. And they just retreat back indoors where everything is safer. Yeah, and just don't go just, out. Because no. quite frankly, you know, it's not worth the risk. Because, no. you know, terrible things can happen when you go outside. Because, um, you know, you might encounter people that you don't like. You might meet someone that you fall in love with. It changes the course of your life forever. Uh, no. Which you might not want because well, you don't safe. like change. Dating's not safe. No, Mine's it isn't. Just you, know, not safe. you could get pregnant. I know. You know, I mean, obviously not in my case. And uh, you could, in fact, um, fall over cut your knee maybe um but some people are genuinely really obsessed with safety now and really cautious and if you look at the last week people have basically locked themselves down mm. without so much as a law a statutory instrument even without being told to people have cancelled nativity plays yeah. office christmas parties lateral flow tests ran dry and people queued for eight hours around the corner what for was their that boosters. well <clears throat> you know a, a week ago Desmond Swain unleashed this tirade in the House of Commons on the day that, uh, amidst that Tory rebellion, they voted through the mandatory vaccinations for the NHS, um, the expansion of mask mandates, and also vaccine passports. Mm. They don't like us calling them vaccine passports, but they're vaccine passports. Yeah, because they keep doing this thing where they go, yeah, you see, we've worked in public policy for a long time, and what we know is that if you change the name of something, that's the way people call it then, and they don't call it something else. They think of it as something completely different. It's a vaccine passport. Yeah, get lost. You think that's stupid. (laughs) So Desmond Swain had this tirade about life under the Ministry of Fear. Of course, my ears picked up, because this is totally in line with what I've been saying, Mm. you know, for... 
oh god for months now you know that the government does weaponize fear to yeah. make people follow the rules yeah. and he said that they've unleashed their dogs of war and mm. they're twisting the fear levers and he's not the only one andrew bridgen said that we're in an, an epidemic of fear yeah. and you know this would be one of my my points that epidemics will come and go but our basic psychology is here to stay yeah. and we don't want a government that's deliberately pressing fear buttons to um, make us do what we're supposed to do. Yeah. So I thought I'd do a quick roundup of what life under the Ministry of Fear has been like. Let's do it. Because the, the thing is, I get asked to write a sequel to my book, A State of Fear, but I don't need to, because mm. they just keep doing the same thing over and over. So first of all, we had the, the um, announcement last Sunday when Boris Johnson told everyone to just stop doing what they're doing yeah. and interrupt the, the nation's TV viewing on a yeah. Sunday to deliver his alarmist This was his tidal wave speech, right? His tidal wave tidal speech. Tidal wave. Yeah, and because I am a little a little geeky, I did notice that he used the word in in under seven minutes of talking. He used the word boosted eight times, mm. booster eight times, vaccination four times, jab, vaccinate. You know, the message was very clear. We mm. were left with no misapprehension about what we're supposed to do, yes. which is to get boosted. Yeah. So this is very alarmist language and a very heavy focus mm. on boosting. And then that was followed with more worst case scenarios. Yeah. And more numbers. So Sajid Javid said there were 200,000 infections a day, which it turned out was an extrapolation from a prediction. It was a, I think we'd be kind if we called it a back of the envelope calculation. Yes. So, you know, like all these, of them. These numbers that crumble like monsters made of icing sugar when you just poke at them a little bit and see what's behind them. Um, also, some new ads were released. Have you seen the Don't Let Covid Hang About ads? I don't think so. Okay. Because luckily so, I don't pay much attention to television. Well, you just hear on the radio. I don't listen to the ads on the radio. I I have a great ability to, to zone out whenever um, uh, actual people are not speaking. Really? Yeah, I can do that. I don't watch ads either, but somebody wrote to me to say that their children had been terrified by a new ad on TV. And they sent me the copy of the complaint they've sent to their MP yes. and to the Advertising Standards Authority. So there's this new ad called Don't Let Covid Hang Around. And basically you see people talking and this, this black mist is coming out of their mouths and swirling around the room. Now, I'm a little bit on the sensitive side. I don't watch horror films. Even I watch it. I was like, what's well, it's a little bit sinister. Mm. Watching these black kind of globules yeah. come out of the mouth. Oh, yes, I have seen hang that. Around in the air and, I have and, seen that. And then some, I didn't know what it was an ad for. Well, clever people open the window yeah. and it goes out. So it's an ad for ventilation, yeah. which is actually a really sensible message to get across. Mm. But think of the children. It's actually quite sinister for children. And so this guy was saying that his two children had nightmares and his, his six-year-old daughter the next day was crying on the way to school because she's so scared about germs. Yeah. So they've released more of these ads which are very fear-mongering. Mm. There's also a new press... The other one that I saw was somebody from... Somebody sent it to me and it was a still picture, so I assume it was a newspaper advert, of an old person lying in a bed in a hospital hooked up to, you know, a, yeah. not a ventilator, but certainly an oxygen mask with a, you know, um, a, a, a drip into their, into their hand. You know, don't ruin Christmas for your grandpa or something like that. It's like... Get away from me! It's the best. The best gift you can give your grandparents is to get your to get the grandchildren yeah. vaccinated. Yeah. It's an and unbelievable. It's an unbelievable piece of emotional blackmail. Uh. Uh, just incredible. I mean, if that grandparents had their vaccine, they've had the protection it gives them. The children probably by now have all had COVID yeah. anyway. It was that is a shocking ad. So that's another one I was going to mention. Really nasty emotional yes. blackmail. Um, and then there's another one out. It's a bit more positive this time, I have to say. The Get Boosted Now one. So you see um, a picture of somebody in black and white, but they're smiling. So it's a bit more positive uh -huh. than last year's campaigns. But we've gone back to the red and yellow chevrons, which say danger, danger. Mm. 
and in the boosted and now you've got this big o big golden o oh, yeah. which is supposed to evoke the o micron but also oh. this ring of protection I see. and the person in black and white's surrounded by a golden glow do you remember the ready brec ads yes right yeah. okay so it's isn't like the ready brec ads isn't there like some kind of greek symbol for omicron because you know how they're all we're supposedly going through the greek alphabet yeah what is the greek actual symbol in ancient greek for omicron i'm, I'm afraid i don't have a classical education and right. you're asking the wrong person well, state school I'll didn't have to do greek yeah, Boris Johnson probably would know that one. He probably That's would, if he didn't he know, knows. he'd just make it up anyway. He's, he's got his ancient Greek. Yeah. So we've got this onslaught of ads, and you've probably seen pictures floating around, people showing pictures in just astonishment, because all of the national newspapers have got this Get Boosted Omicron ad all over the front covers. I mean, what, what are we spending? I'm getting quite annoyed about how much of our taxes is going on these nationwide campaigns. These don't come cheap. And of course, it's propping up it's propping up the national media, the amount of money that the government is spending on COVID advertising. Mm. Yeah, I know. It is incredible. And I mean, I sit here as somebody who has no uh, say in what goes on in the commercial aspects of this company, and neither would I wish to. Uh, certainly, I don't speak for them. Um, certainly, um, I would not have ever advise them. I know people say to me, why don't you stop these ads? Mm. Well, one, it's not within my gift to do so. Two, we're a commercial organisation. Unfortunately, we're not the BBC. And we are subsidised by advertising. And if that comes from the government, uh, as much as it would come from anywhere, we'll take it. It would be a very, very strong line indeed to take for any company to say we will not take any government advertising. And I'm not saying those companies you know? shouldn't take it. I hate that any sort of cancel culture like that in whichever direction it goes. But when you see the mm. news agents and every front cover yeah. looks the same, it's yeah. like, wow, that's yes. a lot of money that's going on advertising. Yeah. There are two more insidious forms of this uh, this week of life under the Ministry of Fear. So fines were announced for people who falsify their COVID passes, their, their vaccine passports. £10,000 fine you can get if you falsify it, if you pretend you're vaccinated when you're not. Now, a £10,000 fine is huge. Huge, it's life destroying for some people and that is literally designed to strike fear into mm. your heart so that you don't risk falsifying the documents yes. and then finally and this is the most disturbing thing for me there's a lot of anti-vax rhetoric mm. so we've heard Sajid Javid and and you know leader comments in newspapers saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated yeah. and it's selfish of people not to get vaccinated now whether that's right or not and that's I, becoming a refrain isn't it the selfish thing selfish unjabbed i think right. we have to be really careful about value judgments yeah, like totally. that because there are multiple reasons that we've talked about before for not having the vaccine but for me this is about deflection the government have had a year mm. to prepare the nhs the NH mm. nhs bosses have had a year to well they've had longer than a year but i mean well, they haven't done had, it ever they haven't done had, it ever they've had but forever also, but, but in also, since but last yeah. winter they've had a year of course and, and they all knew and they were all saying of course it will be bad next winter and because partly they started saying in the summer, did they not? Well, we didn't have much flu last year, so we better be prepared to have a load of flu this year. To which I kept saying, well, why? And did you really not have flu last year or did you just not really count flu last year? Mm. And is there going to be more flu this year? I don't know. There hasn't been, as far as I know, more flu this year. I know that I got some, um, but that's by the by. Mm. You know, I'm not I'm not one of those that believes there wasn't any last year. They just They just didn't count it. Well, I, I mean, I have no idea about that one way or the other, but I'm getting really concerned about this anti-vax rhetoric because a government that tries to instill division between people to make them do the heavy lifting to make a policy come about mm. is has resorted to really underhand techniques. Yeah. 
And I mean, I heard one of my neighbours say this the other day that someone isn't going to go to their Christmas do because they're not vaccinated. Mm. I mean, my goodness me, the kinds of things people are doing to each mm. other now, which is I think this has been very much started by the politicians. Yeah. It's kind of like the ultimate dead cat on the table strategy. Oh, don't look at all the parties yeah. we were having last year. Right. Don't look about the fact that we haven't prepared the NHS. It's you unvaccinated yes. people without causing any, the problem. Without any uh, cause uh, and effect, basically. Without any proof that actually people who are unvaccinated are somehow making it all worse. Because that's not the case. Anyway, uh, Laura Dodsworth is here. We're going to stop for a little moment. Uh, we're going to have a little uh, a moment of hand-holding um, and a bit of uh, chest-beating and a little bit of druidism. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Tour Radio. Lord Dodsworth is here with us. This is probably the last time I'll see you before Christmas. It but is. you do have, I'm happy to report, if I may, um, a little uh, television show coming out. Do you, tomorrow? We do. So we we filmed an episode of a uh, new new show called Straight Talk okay. recently. And you, you um, actually you shared a clip here a couple of weeks ago. I did. Second episode. Got another one. Well, yeah. they liked it that much. You well, could they, do another they one. liked it enough well that we were allowed to do a second. So we've done a, a straight talk Christmas special okay. with Tonya Buxton and I yes. out tomorrow, right. Wednesday. Yes, yeah, that is tomorrow, okay. 1 p.m. Splendid. Get well, on we YouTube shall uh, look and it, we'll look get for ready. It. We'll look for it and we'll put the link out when it comes. Another bit of good news uh, this week yeah. for those people looking for good news was, of course, the decision by the Court of Appeal about hate crimes that are not crimes uh, yes. non-crime hate they're crimes they're called hate call. incidents yes. non-crime hate incidents it is a bit of good news uh, Mike you say looking for good news I'm always flipping looking for good news me too every I'm, I'm day using, I'm, I quite, quite like making good news actually uh, I just manufacture <laughs> it here I just make it good well, do you know, I'm all about creating. I yeah. write, I create, and um, actually it begins to kind of like hurt my creative soul mm. that all I'm doing is re reporting and writing about bad news all the time. Yeah. I love good news. Yeah. So I think this is incredibly positive. So the Free Speech Union um, represented Harry Miller, um, who is a former police officer. Now, he made some, we're going to call them gender-critical comical verse posts yes. on Twitter. It was called a limerick. He denies it was a limerick, but this is not the key point. No. Um, he said things like, here's one of his tweets. I can I can say this one without causing too much offence, okay. I believe. I was assigned mammal at birth, but my orientation is fish. Don't miss species me. So there's a few of these. You get the idea. That's offensive? Apparently it was offensive to enough. fish? <laughs> it's offensive enough that... Um, he was reported to the police mm. for transphobic hate crimes. Now, I'm going to read you several lines of his exchange with the police officer that went to his house yeah. about the tweets. This is the exchange. Were any of the tweets criminal? Harry Miller asked. No, says the police officer. Right. Then why are you ringing me? Says <laughs> Harry Miller. I need to check your thinking, says the police thinking. officer. Yes. Right. So what's happened is that these hate incidents as they're called are being followed up by the police when they're reported on without any kind of common sense mm. is this the sort of hate speech that then might lead to a crime mm. no none of that common sense every single hate incident's being followed up on which was what the college of policing was recommending so as you say uh, harry miller's <clears> taken <throat> this to court he's won which is fantastic and well done the free speech union for representing it's a very him. rare victory but hopefully the That's, first of many yeah but this one is actually this one's really this one's got legs it's going to have a long tail to it it's going to make a difference legs and a long tail <laughs> oh my god i'm really mixing up my metaphors yeah, there definitely not a fish 
<laughs> in my in my humble opinion, is what I know about um, biology. I'm going to miss species this as a huge beast of a win. Okay. But basically, the college policing is going to have to redo all of its recommendations. Excellent. So, any um, they were defining a hate incident as ne any non-crime incident which is perceived by the victim or any other person to be motivated by hostility or prejudice. Mm. Now the problem with that is it, it could cover an enormous could amount of speech. I mean, a hell of a lot of what goes, you know, what passes for commentary mm. on Twitter would fall under that. Of course. But of course, only certain sections of people tend to recall things as hate mm. incidents. It's not like the police don't have enough real crimes to solve. They really do have a so lot of crimes to solve. It's been a ridiculous use mm. of um, and police And I think I'm right in resource. saying, because I did this story with Harry yesterday, I think 120,000 practically separate incidents were recorded mm. between the years of 2014 and 2019. 65 by, a day. Yeah, by various... I mean, that's a lot. By it's, various uh, forces around the country. Yeah, it is, it is a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. And so... Fantastic. A win for free speech. Mm. I, I don't know about you, but I'm a member of the Free Speech Union. Yeah, when I'm, I not, first, well, I'm not a member of anything. Oh, well, yeah. I don't join anything. Do you know, when I saw that they do, thing. when I saw they do this kind of thing, I was like, you know what? That's somewhere that I'd put my money to yeah. support them. I support I think, them. I think these I'd kinds of cases are, they're, they're, really, they're really important. Yes. Is this not also the case that the law in Scotland has been changed to make it illegal for this, for this kind of thing to go ahead? So uh, while maybe a victory in England... I think in Scotland, they've introduced, have they not, a rather nasty hate crime law, which includes the ability to prosecute someone for something they say in their own house to their own members of their family. Private speech. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is this is like a type of thought crime. Yeah. It evokes that film Minority Report. Mm. You know, what's next? What's next? If yeah. you, are you, are you going what are you to be thinking to of think doing? Anything? So when the police officer says, I need to check your thinking... That's a real alarm bells yeah. moment. No, you don't need to check I would, somebody's I would think, what, what they're thinking. Grammatise that statement and say, I need to check your thinking, which would be Y O U apostrophe R E. <laughs> yeah, check because your it doesn't thinking. sound like you are. Well, the police officer wasn't thinking. And actually, you know, people do need to think a bit harder and they need to get a grip. This um, offence culture that if you're offended by something, you'd call the police. I mean, just get over it. Yeah. So saying something um, like this is not against the law. It's only if it becomes um, harassment mm -hmm. or malicious communication. Now, Which I, there's already I, a law against anyway. There is. And I tell you what, I've been on the other end of that, mm. like properly. And did the police follow up? No. I had to push every step and of the way. And what was their reasoning for not pushing? For I imagine it? it will be resource. Also, it was just plain old plain old stalking yeah. against a woman mike what mm. what can i say mm. not as exciting as um a limerick about trans yeah. trans people I, I don't know so i think there's um there's too much focus on the on the wrong things yes. and we need, we need to just kind of forget about this well let's this hope that this culture. might have a sort of chilling effect on these people inside the police service who seem yeah. to think that this is a worthwhile endeavor because it isn't and, no. and a lot of what they do is not worthwhile and so maybe they'll realize that and they'll back off and continuing the good fight, which I just want to say, I talked to you before on this show several weeks ago about the fact that Sky and the Nudge Unit mm. have gone into a partnership oh, yeah. about how to change people's climate change behaviour oh, yes. through subliminal techniques mm. um, on TV, like um, influencing news segments, children's programming, soaps, documentaries, yeah. through the use of things like storylines, characters, product placement. Well, Toby Young and I have put in a very detailed letter of complaint to Ofcom. Excellent. And there'll be an article about that in The Critic online this afternoon. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to be upheld. In fact, if I'm honest, I don't think it will be. But it's really important to do, the good, to do this good work. To put work. the marker anyway, down, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think there was, enough, um, there was enough concern in the media about this. No. 
you know, the government's nudge unit and a broadcaster shouldn't be working together to change people's behaviour. No, or indeed to convince them of something uh, which is supposedly open for debate, even I'm, though they don't want it to be. Yeah, I think there's a real risk. It contravenes various aspects of broadcasting code. Yeah. So um, I'll keep you posted on what happens with that. Maybe I'll get an answer by the new year. Excellent. And Maybe there'll Christmas? be more good news. Uh, yeah, I think there will be. I think we're on a roll. What about uh, Christmas? What's the plan? Um, won't be cancelled. It's good. going to be happening as far as I'm concerned, regardless. Mm -hmm. I mean, my mum is so desperate to see us that honestly, if if my children and I were COVID positive, she'd want us to go. We wouldn't do that. Yes. But she doesn't want Christmas cancelled. I'm going. I don't know if um, everybody in the family would feel mm. the same way, okay. but at least some of us are hardcore. We can't wait to have it. Yeah. And, you know, I want it in all of its dysfunctional, um, overly alcoholic mess, to be honest. Definitely. Yeah, smeared after eights all over the place. Um, <laughs> Mine don't get smeared anywhere. They just go straight in my mouth. Do what's, they? Your, what's your problem? After well, sometimes they the fall out of the box and nobody sits on one. I mean, you know, all sorts of things can happen. You never know. That's the whole thing about Christmas. Really? I find my mouth and chocolate are like magnets. Well, not everybody is as good at uh, eating it as you, obviously. You know, and when there's too much of it around, I've got some very nice Polish chocolate, which was gifted to me by the girls mm. downstairs, which I'm looking forward to eating. How nice. And well, some if you very want nice, to share uh, some, you know. Well, it's, uh, it's not here. Oh. I mean, I've taken it home already. And also some very nice raspberry liqueur from the oh, land of wow. the Poles. That sounds nice. So I couldn't find any slow And then let me tell shops. you, if you drink half a bottle of that, you'll be struggling to get an after eight out of its packet. <laughs> you know, never mind. Never mind smearing it all over your, your, your trousers. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. Um, have a wonderful Christmas. Thank Great you. to see you. Thank you for everything you've done this year. Uh, I should take that uh, opportunity to say. Ditto. And thank you for joining the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, of which you are now an honorary member. Uh, no need to sign up. Uh, you're just in. This is uh, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say a very, very good afternoon to Angela Levin, who we haven't spoken to, it seems, for a while. Angela, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Very Hope nice. You are too. Very nice to see you before Christmas. Only three days to go until the festive period begins. It's disappointing, yeah. I suppose, if you're the Queen once again to have to go down to sort of you know bare basics, I suppose, for Christmas at Windsor Castle. I'm sure it won't be awful, but it won't be what she'd want, is it? No, I mean she's loved the fact that all the family reunite mm. in Sandringham, and she's been going there since 1988. So it's been a very long time. She likes tradition and she likes things organised. But there were going to be 50 of the family, which is an astonishing number, who were going to be there. And it's not a very good idea for someone who's 99 and quite frail. However, she could go to Sandringham a bit after Christmas and spend time there and people can go and visit her while it's still the sort of holiday period. Because after Christmas goes on, doesn't it, right to the second week of January, really? Yes. So she could go up there. Um, but I think also two other things are very important to her. One is that she's still alive and healthy-ish by the time it's the Platinum Jubilee next spring. I mean, this is an astonishing event. You know, she's going to be the, the royal who's actually been on the throne longer than anyone else. And it's full of things she'll love, like watching horses race and going to church and giving thanks and having loads of people eating in the streets and enjoying the feeling of, of, of what a wonderful number of citizens she has. So I think she wants to keep herself for that. And the third reason is that 
She wants to be seen as experiencing things just like the public. We saw that when the COVID first hit us nearly two years mm. ago. And um, she spoke and she spoke brilliantly in April 2020 and, and said, you know, we are feeling it, we will get over it. We will, you know, see our friends again. So she wanted to be part of that. And I think this is important too, to set an example and to um, remember her duty as queen of, of the UK and the Commonwealth, yeah. however cynical people are. Um, so that she, she, feels this too yes i mean it's been another difficult year for her hasn't it i mean obviously the death of her husband uh, after a reasonably long illness um, a lot of people think that prince philip's passing has kind of changed things quite a bit not only inside of um, the, the the royal household itself but also just in her personal life as well yes of course but i think if you've been married to somebody for uh, such a long time when she was 20 in her early 20s when mm. she got married you know they become part of your life so much so even though she traveled and even though she was out doing engagements non-stop um, and she lent on him she could trust him he was totally loyal but he said what he thought and often the staff of um, sovereigns and monarchs don't actually they just say yes you mm. can do that but he would say no don't and mm. I think we should go this way and he was a very wise counsellor and uh, of course it must be a huge hole but she's also very good at pocketing things and making different pockets for different aspects mm. of her life which is how she can c carry on really yeah she she looked very smiley when she went back on doing the engagements of course she's not very smiley but she can do that because now she's out working so she needs to be the monarch that people expect not mm. to start crying all the time no, of course. um and and i think that she's she's good at that and and with some whoever goes to see her and i'm sure they will all work out a rotor like they did just after Prince Philip died. She had people coming by Rota so that she wasn't alone. Mm. And if they do that, it's not too many of them. She'll have children, she'll have grandchildren, she'll have great-grandchildren. And I think that will keep up her, her feelings that um, it's an important day. Also, she's very religious. Mm. So Christmas is very important to her in a religious way, not just to have a bingo grand party. Right. Um, she feels it spiritually, whether she's seen going to church i doubt but she will pray i think obviously um within windsor castle she'll go to a service of one kind or another presumably yes 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 and i mean it's also one of the great things about being queen presumably is you can just snap your fingers and an archbishop suddenly pops up from nowhere and goes <laughs> would you like me to give mass your her majesty you know where you go you don't have to you don't have to kowtow to their time frame no, yeah, well, they're 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 honoured <laughs> to do that, of course, aren't they? Yes, absolutely, absolutely honored. right. Yes. And I mean, obviously, um, it's been a weird year in other ways. You know, Prince Andrew uh, has been still under an awful lot of pressure, which he continues to resist. We've now had the uh, the kick off and the start, and possibly now the ending uh, of the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, which he hasn't figured in to any great extent, but must still be a bit yeah. of a worry for him and for her. Yes, well, I think it's not finished. If if she's found guilty in any way, they're already prepared for an appeal. Mm. So um, he can't relax really till after that. And even then, he, she m might say something, or he might 
you know, it might come up. So it's been awful. But I think what she will miss is 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 Harry and Meghan. Well, yes. maybe not so much Meghan, but certainly Harry. Um, she adored Harry and he adored her. They have a very similar sense of humour and they would do practical jokes like they did at the Olympics in 2012. Mm. He persuaded to come down from a from a plane yeah. um, and 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 things like that. I think she will miss that. So I hope that people can um, make it up to her. I think in a way it's more painful than Prince Philip. Of course she's missed him because it's a long time, but he was, you know, four months short of 100. So in a way you're slightly prepared, even though the reality is very painful. But I don't think she ever imagined that Prince Philip uh, would leave it with such bad, bad atmosphere. Mm. I mean, he could have gone nicely, but he didn't. And I think that that's um, very hard for her to swallow. Yes, I think so. And as far as the sort of extended family goes, obviously it, the feeling, the senses that the family is, is sort of contracted from what it used to be, you know, even 15 years ago. Um, but she'll have um, uh, the... Duke and Duchess of Wessex, I think, around in Win in Windsor. Yeah, they live there. Um, will she yeah. have will, um, will she have a visitation from Fergie? Is she still sort of allowed in on Christmas Day? Yeah, don't forget Louise. You know the, their daughters, the Sussex daughters, because she's very close to the Queen and she loves talking horses. So she's be a good person. She's very sound. Eighteen years just now, um, and I think that. Um, the Queen has a soft spot for Fergie. Mm. Uh, Duke of Edinburgh wouldn't allow her anywhere near them <laughs> for decades. Right. But as soon as he died, uh, she went along and spent time with the Queen. It probably makes the Queen laugh. But certainly Prince Charles and, and Camilla will go and visit her. They're believed to have them um, stay in, in Highgrove. Mm. Um, and that um, Catherine and William will go... But it might be difficult with the children. But the Queen can feel very pleased that the the line of duty is there. You know, um, Prince Charles is working very hard and is much more relaxed. Camilla's working incredibly hard. Every time I uh, see, an, every, almost every day, there's another um, thing that she's going to be patron of. Mm. Um, and William and Kate are turning out to be very well and... Uh, care about the monarchy and I think that's very important to her um, that that carries on so she can find comfort in you know some of the the children yes. and Princess Anne of course works very hard so I think she's very positive in her outlook and I think she will say you know I made this it wasn't necessarily a doctor who said you must not mm. I decided this and I think that she wants to stay well for, for the pandemic, as mm. I said. Yes. And do you think there will be a sort of a slight relaxation, if you like, of, for the numbers of, of, uh, of duties that the Queen takes on in the new year? Because clearly there were some concerns about her health in the last couple of months. She hadn't been seen for a while. She was said to be uh, recovering from a back injury. She didn't do the cenotaph this year. Um, it's probably more than understandable if she wasn't able to kind of commit to as much this year in the, in, in the coming year, I should say, uh, as in the last one. Absolutely. I think she'll do very little, but she'll still stay as the monarch. Mm. I mean, what she has done the most 
is to do virtual greetings for ambassadors or saying goodbye or hello to them. You know, it's very simple. Um, she's been out a little bit, but not very much. And I think that's all going to go to Prince Charles and the Duchess of Cornwall. Um, because she's got to be sensible. This is her target in the spring. Mm. And she's going to get there. I think she's thinking. I don't know, but I think she's thinking. If she gets there, she's got to be very, very careful. Yes. And um, she'll have recorded and that, uh, she'll have recorded the Christmas message already. Um, I can't wait for that. Mm. I can't wait for that. I mean, she did it two years ago. She got uh, 23, four, last year, 23 million people yeah. watching her. Yeah. And actually, um, William Hill, where you can put your bets on, have just come up with the fact that they reckon it's going to be number one in the TV watching, closely followed by um, Call the Midwife, which is quite funny, really. <laughs> um, but I think... People really care about her. They want to see that she's all right. They want to see whose photographs are on the desk. Yes. They want to know what subtlety you can read between each word. You know, she can sometimes say something that you have to read between the lines. And, and I think it will be a very interesting one because it has been, I think, an absolutely ghastly year for her. Yeah. Absolutely well, it's been an awfully ghastly, ghastly year for an awful lot of people, I suppose, as well. Well, I well, that's why I think, you know, she wants to give an example. That's why she's not going. She's not going to be rollicking in Sandringham when, you know, millions of her subjects are having a really tough time and have told not to go anywhere, yeah. which she hasn't done yet. But, mm. you know, it's been very precarious. And I don't think she wants to... To show, you know, I'm the monarch, I can break all the rules. She's not like that, is she? She, she is part of us but in a you know in a sort of much more superior mm. spot no quite and what about the dreaded harry and megan we've managed to get to 18 minutes past 12 without mentioning them but should we be expecting quickly. a sort of alternative message from Montecito? well it's quite interesting that we haven't had a christmas card yet that's released to the public mm. Uh, they, I think they like to do it last because they got into the idea that the most senior royals arrive last and do these things last. So they are going to trump everybody else. Mm. Excuse the name Trump. <laughs> yes. And, um, I mean, it would be amazing if they didn't say or do anything which put them into the public limelight at some point. Yes, but they have been saying that they're going to have a quiet dinner at home yeah. and I think that's always a sign that maybe nobody wants to invite them because they're really seeing what um, how badly they've behaved now mm. at last yes I think so so it'll probably be the two of them the two kids and uh, maybe her mother yes mm. no chance of the dad being invited I guess oh absolutely no chance at all no she's cut him off when she does cut someone off they've had it you know, oh yeah they don't come back from that no it's nfi for him can't say i'm so sorry i said that i didn't really mean it yes, you know i know it's, um, if you just stretch the rules it's out and i think she's been like that for a, a very long time mm. but i wish them a happy time it must be very nice for harry to be father of two children a boy and a girl 
he's got a lot of pleasure and um a two-year-old and christmas is a joy isn't it, it so is. totally, he yeah. should actually have that and stop whinging uh, well that would be nice well let's see whether we can manage it uh, we shall see angela have a lovely christmas thank nice to talk to you thank you for everything uh, we've done together over the course of the year we've had plenty to talk about i'm sure next year uh, will prove to be just as fascinating uh, inside the uh, royal corridors of power uh, the Queen, of course, deciding this year that once again, Sandringham is off the menu. She's going to stay in Windsor. It's not the end of the world for her, but you've got to feel a little bit sorry for the Queen, haven't you? Poor old um, woman who lost her husband this year. Uh, yes, she's still the monarch. Yes, she is still the Queen. However, her family has not had one of the greatest years of all time. It would have to be said. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.